Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Over the next seven or eight verses, we'll see Mary quoting as she prays, basically quoting text from the Old Testament. My soul doth magnify the Lord, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. Holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. As we read Luke 1, Luke 2, there are several things that jump out. Number one, the working of the Holy Spirit. Number two, those that are filled with praise. Number three, the influence of the Word of God in the lives of each one of these people. Now, here's what's amazing. They were less fortunate than us. They did not have a completed scripture in their hands, 66 books in their language a copy in their home where they could wake up every day and study it, meditate on it, memorize it, and learn it. But they would get portions of it. And as they went to the temple, they could hear it, obviously, by uh, these chapters. They did that. That was a normal part of their life. Matter of fact, Zacharias was a priest that worked in the temple offering incense. But the Word of God was a major part of their lives. Now, look what it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Because I want to speak for just a minute on meditating on the Word of God. And how do we make that possible? Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. It's amazing how many... Books have been written on success and being successful, whether that's financially or in parenting or in relationships. Well, the bottom line is this book is the key to success. And God said, if you meditate on it. Now, let me ask you this tonight. How many of us honestly have made it a habit of meditating on God's word day and night? What consumes our thoughts? What fills our minds? Normally... And I realize this because I'm starting to age a little bit. And I'm starting to realize that the older you get, the more the realities of life, they, they hit home. When you're young, you're innocent. The reality of cancer, the reality of sickness, the reality of losing a parent or losing a child, all of those are very distant, foreign concepts. And most kids really live pretty worry-free lives. But the older you get, the bigger life becomes, the more complicated life becomes. And if we're not careful, all those factors begin to consume our thoughts and we allow. It can be depression, frustration, worry, fear, or a million other things begin to consume us. And the battle that we have is for the mind and Satan. Listen, the Bible does say in Ephesians 6, 12, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's an invisible war. And it takes place in the mind. And Satan wants more than anything. He does not have your soul. If you are saved, born again, a child of God, he can't have that. He can never have that. He's lost that permanently. But he can have your mind. And he loves to play with the Christian's mind. 
And the older you get, the more important this principle is. Because you want your mind to be stayed upon God. And the only way that's going to happen is through scripture memory and by meditating on the word of God. I want to be prosperous. I want to have good success. Now, if the Bible does say good success, that means you can have worldly success without, without it being good success. It doesn't matter if I have financial success, if I lose my marriage, if I lose my children. If I live frustrated, depressed, angry, we're talking about good success on a spiritual level. Look what it says in uh, Psalms 119.97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is what? My meditation all the day. Now, amazingly, most of us in this room tonight have been saved at least 10 years. Some maybe 20 and you would think after having grown in this kind of environment, we would be able to sit back and say, okay, if the most basic part of the Christian life is making the word of God of high priority, surely by now we would have grown to the point that we could say just as David did, that my meditation is on the word of God all day. But I have a great suspicion that none of us can say that honestly. Now, how do we make God's word a regular daily meditation? There are a few simple things, a few simple steps. Number one, you have to read it. It's not going to be your meditation if you're not reading it. And we're talking about, once again, modern-day Christianity wants to minimize the importance of reading this book. This book ought to be part of your fabric and fiber. Amen? And it needs to start at youth. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 17, 9. Now, this is a command that was made to kings. Anybody that sat upon the throne, here's why we read the scripture and ought to make it an important part of our daily lives. Deuteronomy 17, 19. It shall be with him, the king, that he shall read therein. So before there was ever a king over Israel, God made and established a command. And what was it? That whoever sat on the throne, what was he supposed to do? Read this book. How often? All the days, every single day, including weekends, holidays, and vacations. He shall read there in all the days of his life that he may learn several things. Look at the five things listed. That he may learn to fear the Lord as God, to keep the words of his law, to do them that his heart be not lifted up, and that he turn not aside. Go with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Now, what made them noble? What's the Bible say that they did? They searched, they daily searched the word. You have to daily make it a priority. It'd be a good thing to set apart a time. Now, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to say, I'm going to fit it into my schedule so whenever I have the first 10 or 15, 20 or 30 minutes available, then I'm going to make it happen. Don't do that because Satan will make sure you don't have 30 free minutes for Bible time. You ought to have an established Bible time during your day. It doesn't matter if that's in the morning. I've heard some preachers say it ought to be first thing in the morning. That would be great. There's only one problem. How many of you are not morning people? Okay. So how many of you have heard this kind of message and you say, you know what, I'm going to get up 30 minutes extra early and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to get in the word of God and 
Yeah. How did that turn out? It's discouraging, wasn't it? Because you got up and you, you put your face in the book, but you weren't getting anything out of it. You were becoming disgruntled with the command, frustrated with the opportunity to meet with God. Here's what I do. I want God to have the prime moments of my day. So when I'm most alert, I am not most alert at 5.30. I have to do 5.30. And I do it with a smile. You say, are you a morning person or an evening person? Neither. I'm just whatever I'm supposed to be at the moment, that's what I am. But I'm not naturally one of these people that likes to stay up till 2, and I'm not naturally one of these people that likes to wake up at 4. But the older I get, the more common it is to wake up at 4. Don't you hate that? But here's the nice thing. There are times now when I wake up at 4 o'clock, I'm wide awake. I say, okay, God, get up and read my Bible for a couple hours. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not setting my alarm for 4. Here's what I do. I set aside the best part of my day when I'm most alert, I'm most focused with the least distractions and say, God, that's the time I'm going to set aside. Now, when I was in Bible college, my Bible reading time and schedule has changed throughout my life according to the schedule that I had. When I was in Bible college, I worked night shift. And during the day, literally, I was living off of two or three hours of sleep for 18 months. And here's what I did. I realized the only way I could get Bible reading in was twice during that eight-hour shift, they would give us a 20-minute break. I was wide awake. I was doing physical labor, so hustling and moving around. My mind was in motion. I would go into that break room, throw open my King James Bibles this big, and read it, and, boy, you clear out the cockroaches. Just shine a little bit of light. But here's what you can't do. Don't try to compare your Bible reading with someone else's reading because everyone reads on a different level and there's some that like to, you know, they like to read 20 chapters and there's some that like to read two chapters. There's some that like to read in the morning or at night. You set up a systematic daily, and let me just say this, don't be random in your Bible reading, although I don't practice what I preach because I'm very random. But don't be random. Have a systematic approach. You ought to find a, a schedule where you can read your Bible through in a year. You ought to read Exodus. You ought to read Deuteronomy. You ought to read Isaiah. You shouldn't be a Christian for 30 years without even having a clue what Isaiah is about or who it's written to or the purpose of the book. One of the best things you can do to help yourself in your Bible reading, how many have ever seen a Christian Bible handbook? The most common one would be Haley's. Any of you seen those? Best thing you can do this year for your Bible reading time is to go pick one of those up. One of the nice new ones with nice pictures in it. Because what it does, it'll give you a rundown of the book when it was written. It'll show you pictures of the land or the people or the times. It goes through a lot of history, gives you an update. It'll even do chapter breakdowns where you can get a clue. Okay, if I'm in Isaiah chapter 40, or chapter 61, I know what this book is talking about. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you ever been reading your Bible, and you got somewhere like the Old Testament prophets, or Leviticus, and you started reading about the sacrifices, and, or Exodus, about the building of the tabernacle, and the silver sockets, and the, the lampstands, and all of that, and you just kind of faded out, waded through. You know, 10 days of reading like that, by the time you got done, 
you really spirit-filled and helped and blessed and encouraged and motivated. And so you know what you did? The next time you went back, you just said, I think I'm going to go straight from Exodus 18 to Numbers chapter 1. Now, Numbers 11, because you wanted to bypass all those names, just go to the stories, go straight to Numbers 11. How many got to list the names and you just skipped right down to the last one? Because you're not a Jew, so all those lineages doesn't mean anything to you. Now, here's what you need to do. If you get a Bible handbook, you'll start to figure things out, put things together. You'll understand the divided kingdom. you understand the prophets in their time. And this is the importance of reading the Bible. I've read the Bible now, I don't know, 45 or 50 times. I've read oftentimes if we'll do a study in a book. Back when we did, I only preached seven messages on Proverbs. I read the book of Proverbs. Um, 200 times. I listened to it. Did you know you can listen to the book of Proverbs one time a day without any effort at all? And you just start to fill your heart and mind and body and soul with the word of God. Now, God wants a relationship with you. So you've got to find a way. Here's what you do. You don't, you don't hit a wall and then stand there and beat your head against it for the next 40 years. You hit a wall, you say, okay, there has to be a door here. There has to be a solution. There has to be a way to make this profitable. And when it comes to Bible reading, I think too often we make it a duty instead of a pleasure because we try to compare ourselves even with our mate or with someone else and say, well, this is the way they do that. They're a very unique person. Do you do anything else like they do it? You don't comb your hair like them. You don't get dressed like them. You don't even like their style of clothes. So what makes you think that you can have the same pattern and have it in your Bible reading and enjoy it. Let them do it the way they do it. You figure out how to make it profitable for you. Because ultimately, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you meditating on the word of God. He does not want you frustrated by the command to read it. Amen? So find something that works for you, but you ought to be systematically reading through this book. That doesn't mean every day is going to be the same. It doesn't mean everything's going to be exciting. How many of you think Acts is the greatest book in the entire Bible? You love Acts. Acts is one of my favorite books. How about Mark, the book of Mark? How many say Mark is my favorite? Now, here's what you don't want to do. Too many people get their favorite book, and then every time they read, first of all, they're not faithful, but every time they do read, they go straight to their favorite book. I like to check up on my kids. I like to know what they're reading. Christopher, when he was five years old, my wife and I now laugh about this. I said, I want to establish in him the habit of reading his Bible. So as soon as he learned to read cat, hat, bat, mat, sat, we got one of those Bible story booklets. You've seen it. The big thick ones with the Bible story for each day of the year. 365 Bible stories, three or four pages, small letters. And here he is in kindergarten. And I bought him the book, I gave it to him, and I said, you're going to read one of these every day. Every single day of the year. The first time he read one of those Bible stories, it took him about three hours. <laughs> the book to tog et her, tog et her, together, son. Boy, you want to talk about Chinese torture. It was Chinese. We laugh now. That was a little overboard, but it was our first child. But you know what we did do? 
I don't know anybody on this planet that has it more established in their daily life to read their Bible. You'd be hard-pressed to go back in Christopher's history, find a handful of days that he hasn't been in this book. And there have been times we've taken trips and been gone. He'll read it on the road. There have been times we got home 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and his light would be on, I'll knock on the door, Christopher, what are you doing? Dad, I haven't read today. I have to read my Bible. It's stuck in him. It's ingrained in him. Now go ask him a Bible question. He'll tell you about people and places and things that happen in the Bible you didn't even know existed. But it's because there's been a daily habit established in his life of reading that book. It doesn't mean every day was a perfect day. It doesn't mean every chapter was a blessing. But there's a habit, and the more you read it, the more you understand. And listen, you'll get to a point in your life when you've read this book, here's what we want to do. We want to read it two times and then just have it all open up. And we understand all, you've got to read it and read it and read it. And the more you read it, the more you enjoy it. But it's not just about reading it. Turn to 2 Timothy 2.15. You're going to have to study a little bit. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm shocked, I'm surprised by how many Christians that believe things and have no clue why they believe them. There's never been any study. Now, this is why it's important to have family devotions. This is why it's, it's important for you to have a ministry because it doesn't matter if it's a prison or the nursing home or junior church. When you have a ministry, you're forced to study. And you, you don't learn very much by listening. You learn by having to teach and instruct. And here's what we've done in the Bible college. We're forcing these kids more and more to teach on subjects because when they teach something, they're actually forced to learn it. But when they sit there, their eyes roll back in their head and their head tilts this way. And how much knowledge is actually being absorbed, I, I don't know. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 15. That from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now, this is why it's so important for these kids to be learning, uh, do anything. Listen, I'm for anything that helps children learn and meditate on the Word of God. And we have so many advantages. Here's the blessing, 2012. I spent hours in an airport yesterday, but... Read the entire book of Acts. Now, here's the blessing you, you've got right here. You don't even have to have a Bible on you. If you go to our house early in the morning, you will hear the word of God played at least an hour. If you go in one of our vehicles early in the morning, you'll hear the word of God played. That's just the Thompson habit. How many of you have a Bible program on your cell phone? How many of you use the Bible program? How many of you have uh, the Bible is? How many like the dramatized version? My wife loves it. With these kind of apps, how in the world could a Christian in 2012 have any excuse for not meditating daily on the Word of God? Before, it might have been a struggle to get through the Word of God a couple times a year, but if you have a Bible app, Anywhere you go, you have the Bible on you. 
And you can take time, listen, instead of doing all those crazy emails and texts and Facebooks and all, you know, all that other stuff, you know, that it consumes your mind. And you could actually be doing something profitable, like filling your mind with the word of God. You can do it right here with a simple phone. So take something that this world uses for bad, use it for good, help your children out. Some of you, the struggle with family devotions, it's not an issue because someone has to drive those kids into school every day. Do you know what you do? You take out your phone, you hook it up to your, how many of you know how to hook up your phone to your car speakers? Do a Christmas investment in your family. Spend the 80 bucks to get it. You plug it right into your lighter. It'll keep you from smoking. And you can play the word of God on the way to school. And here's what the Bible says. How many want your children to have faith? How many want to increase your faith? What's the Bible say about faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by Faith cometh by what? So they need to hear it. How many of you have at least a 20-minute ride to school in the mornings? 15 minutes. Fill their minds with something besides mush. Psalms 119.11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, how do we meditate on the word of God? It's not just by reading it, listening to it studying it, but by memorization. Here's what will help you meditate on the Word of God. Memorize. We brought three by five cards. This is the simplest form, and I know there's new technology, and there's a million ways to learn verses. There's no better way than the old three by five card method. Your daily Bible reading, you carry a three by five card. You find a verse. Now, here's what you want to do. You want to memorize verses that you can use to help yourself, your family, Used to witness. It doesn't matter where you're reading, you'll find them. Start with short verses to facilitate, you know, your 45-year-old memory. Help yourself out. Now, it's amazing what we're capable of doing, but here's the blessing of the 3 by 5 card. If you write that verse on that 3 by 5 card and a date on the back, and you can carry that around with you, pull it out anytime during the day, and what are you doing? You're facilitating meditation on the Word of God. And then you can quote that to someone. Now, let me ask you this. Are you a Christian that's never caught quoting a scripture? Here's how to eliminate that. You've got to meditate on it to quote it. You have to memorize it. Did you know that people only remember about 5% of what they hear, but they remember 100% of what they memorize? That's deep, right? <laughs> My point is memorize it. So if you write it on a three by five card, you keep it, you keep the date. Here's another thing that you want to do. You don't want it, if you don't use a three by five card, you'll memorize it, but 10 days later, you won't remember the text of the verse you memorized. And a month later, you won't even remember that you memorized it. But if you have it on a three by five card with the date, here's what you do. You may not do seven a week. You may only do two a week or five a week, depending on the, your determination, your memory skills, and your developed habit of memorization. But if you write it on a three by five, you can not only memorize it, but you can share it. Now, let me ask you this. How in the world, if God commands us in Philippians 4, 8, finally, my brother, whatsoever things are true and honest, just, lovely, and pure. Now, when God gives that list and then tells us this, Think on these things. Hold on for a minute. 
We're going down the road. Instead of using our Bible app, we have the radio in the morning. We're being barraged. The news and the fiscal cliff and gas is going to go up the first of the year. So what is your mind already doing 8 o'clock in the morning? You're already going into depression, right? Now what happens if you changed out that radio program for your Bible app? Now, you put in your Bible app, you begin to listen, and here's while I'm listening, sometimes a verse will catch my attention. My Bible app will actually show the text with what is being read. That's an advantage because when you hear a verse, you can stop and check what verse it is. Later on, you get it written down. Now, don't do that while you're on I-35 on the way to work. Please don't be writing your verse on your card. Put down the reference. You can be meditating on it all day long. Here's what the Bible says. How many of you remember Ephesians 6 when it says that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers? You remember that verse? Then verse 13, where does God go next? What are we supposed to do? Put on the whole armor of God. And he begins to list things which are all defensive in nature. They're protective. Everything listed is defensive. It's for protection except for one thing. Verse 17, what is it? Sword of the Spirit. Now, how do we combat the world, the flesh, the devil. How did Jesus combat? How many remember Luke chapter 4? He's with Satan. How many have a red letter edition? Your Bible's red letter edition. Turn to Luke 4, you'll see everything's black except there are three verses in red. You know what that is? Jesus Christ, when tempted by the devil, quoted scripture to defeat temptation. Now, if Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, used the Bible to defeat temptation, how much more should we do that and follow his example? Amen. So if you have a problem with your temper, write down verses from Proverbs on anger. If you have a problem with your mind, with lust, it doesn't matter what your problem is. There are plenty of Bible verses on it. Write down a verse. Memorize the scripture. You can even do this where your kids do it with you. Now, I was one of those dads trying to figure out life. Our first child, Chris, got the worst part of that because he was our first child. But when he was six or seven years old, I told him, you're going to memorize Hebrews 11. It wasn't by accident that they, when the kids went to Kentucky and said, okay, we're going to do a Bible quiz you have till this afternoon and go memorize anyone. You know why? Because at seven, his dad, Stalin, was saying, memorize the book. And his mind now works that way. So when it comes to scripture memorization, his mind is just geared to do it very quickly. And when you start, that's why you need to pick small verses because your mind's not geared. If you haven't been memorizing scripture, not, your mind's not geared that way. And here's, here's what I did. I made a horrible mistake. I was in Mexico for 15 years in a Spanish-speaking country, and everything we did was Spanish-speaking. So I'd learned scripture all my life in English. We went to Mexico. You can't translate scripture. Don't try it. But what we memorized was now of no value. Well, I say no value, no value for preaching and teaching because you just can't retranslate it. So I had to rememorize it. Well, when I came back to the States, everything I learned in English, I forgot. Everything I learned in Spanish is of no value. Now I got to do this all over again. 
here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to give up in life when it comes to scripture memory because that's the part that will keep you meditating day and night. Now here's what you do. Keep the card. Keep every one of them. Don't lose them because you want to add to your scripture knowledge so you don't, want to, you don't want to memorize one and then just let it go. Keep the card and review it. I think too often, because we don't set any reasonable goals, we never put into practice simple Bible commands. And it's just basic. It's as basic as a three-by-five card. It's as basic. And here's what it's going to help you do. When you read your Bible... How often have you read and not gotten anything out of it because you didn't read it with a three-by-five card and you didn't read it saying, God, speak to me today. Give me a verse, not only that will challenge me and help me, but that will challenge my family and those around me. And then do this. Here's what will help you meditate on. Get that verse, get it written on a three-by-five card, and then share it. You know, if you're going to send text, send a verse. Find some way, but we don't take enough practical steps And so after 20 years of being a Christian, we know we're supposed to read it. We know we're supposed to study it. We know we're supposed to memorize it. We know we're supposed to share it. When does it actually happen? So every year we keep thinking one of these days, some perfect way of making this Bible command simple is going to be revealed. Well, here it is. It's called a three-by-five card. These serve no other purpose, none. I mean, realize that. It's a waste of paper. I mean, they're, they're literally cutting down trees all across this world to make these worthless cards. Their sole purpose on this planet is divine. God said, I'm going to facilitate scripture memory. This year, I don't care if it's 10 or 200, write out some verses, tear them around, memorize some scripture. You know what you can do? You can set this anywhere, carry around your Bible. How many of you ever get frustrated standing in lines? Pull it out. Start mumbling to yourself and memorize a scripture verse. I don't think Zechariah, Mary, Simeon, or Anna had three by five cards. I know they didn't have the book of John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, or Galatians at their disposal. We do. We have a lot of advantages. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have Bible apps. And they were still full of scripture. You know what we can do? A few simple steps. We can have some memorized scripture in our hearts, helping our families, purifying our minds, where we're honestly fulfilling a Bible command that says, thou shalt meditate thereon day and night.